If you're listening to this podcast, I know you're a fan of strange stories. Stories like a teen solo hiker who was terrorized for days by unknown figures dressed in white. Or two cops who quit their job at a local theater because of unexplained encounters with an alleged demon. Or an isolated forest in Canada where people keep turning up headless. These are just some of the dark and mysterious stories you'll hear each week on the Mr. Ballin Podcast. In each episode, Mr. Ballin shares real, haunting accounts, like the case of Haley Zega, who disappeared from a hiking trail for 51 hours. When search and rescue finally found her and asked her how she survived, she simply said a friend helped her. She described this friend as four years old, black hair and brown eyes. This quote-unquote friend was initially dismissed until they realized a girl had gone missing in that exact spot 23 years earlier and was never found. She was four years old, had black hair and brown eyes. Now, not only is Mr. Ballin an excellent narrator, but the stories he covers keep me on the edge of my seat and never fail to creep me out. Prime members... Listen to the Amazon-exclusive podcast, Mr. Ballin Podcast, Strange, Dark, and Mysterious Stories, in the Amazon Music app. Download the app today. among us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Howdy. I trust you've all survived the latest Halloween celebrations. I hope you got to go trick-or-treating. You got to hand out candy. Or maybe you went to a party where people bob for apples. Or turn into werewolves. Or whatever. I don't know what you're into, but I do know that you're in for one hell of a show, at least I think so, because like you, I have not yet heard any of the calls that are about to be presented here this evening, making this another grab bag episode. Now Sarah and I just got back from a camping trip to one of our old haunts, the Kern River in Kernville, California. We had a good time, had some good food, did some hiking around, watched the river flow by. And we even got to hand out some candy at our campsite, which was a lot of fun. But all of that makes me a few days behind schedule, as far as releasing an episode. So that makes perfect conditions for a grab bag episode. 
Now, if you're new to the program, all the calls that I selected this evening did so on subject matter alone. I do not have details on the calls that are about to be shared. I will experience the story right along with you. So without further ado, here's our first entry this evening. A submission from Jose here in California. Hey Derek, it's Jose from California. I've been listening to the podcast for probably about a week now and I've just fallen in love with it. I love hearing everybody's stories and I decided it was time for me to share a story of mine. So this story was a rake sighting or encounter. This happened back when I was 13 years old. I vividly remember I was about to go to sleep. For some reason, I was going to sleep earlier than usual. I usually go to sleep pretty late, you know, and especially in middle school, I just never, you know, never felt tired or anything, you know. And for some reason, it was time for me to go to bed. You know, I told myself, hey, I'm going to go to sleep early. And I was brushing my teeth. And in my bathroom, I have a little mirror that um, you could see the entryway into my room from that little mirror. And, you know, usually when I brush my teeth, I feel like it's a pretty normal thing for people to do, um, to just brush your teeth and stare at yourself in the mirror. And I was doing this, and I vividly remember, you know, bending down to spit out the toothpaste in my mouth. And the second I went back up and looked at myself in the mirror, I saw something in the corner of the mirror, which was the main entrance into my room. And what it looked like, I honestly, I was very surprised at first when I seen it because it looked like a person. It looked like, the best way I could describe it is like a uh, naked mole rat, like very pale, no hair, very hairless. I just want to stress that, like literally no hair. And it seemed like it was like an old man, very wrinkly, and it seemed to be on all fours, very, very skinny. And what surprised me after this, you know, looking back at it and thinking about it after it happened, was the area that it was in, it made no sense as to how it could be there. Because it was kind of like lower, like parallel to the floor, as if it were like on all fours, you know, on its knuckles, just standing up, and it kind of peeked its head around the door. Except I had a pretty large bed frame at that time, and it was literally right up against the wall where that per- that person or I would call it the rake now where it was and it just didn't make sense to me as to how it could be there and I just remember dropping my toothbrush leaving the water on leaving the lights on everything and just running to my mom's room and explaining to her what I had saw and of course you know she didn't believe me and my sister was there too they were watching the movie and they just thought I was crazy and I was just terrified the next day I did not go into my room I had my little sister go in there for me and get, grabbing my clothes, and I was just terrified to sleep in there for like a week straight. Flash forward, you know, to like, you know, a couple years from there, uh, going into high school, probably like a year, year and a half later. I had always been interested in like the paranormal and just ghosts and all that crazy stuff, you know? And um, I had really got into just the YouTube stories and the cryptids, and that's when I learned about a creature called the rake which, you know, when I saw it, there would be pictures or drawings of it. And immediately, as soon as I saw it, I got reminded of that, this incident. And, you know, it described it as 
you know, like a humanoid figure with no hair, very pale, very long, lengthy arms, and all these different stories. And there was one story that stood out to me that said that a woman had encountered the rake, and it said that it would be back. And, you know, I thank God I didn't hear anything from the rake. It didn't speak to me. But one thing that stood out to me was when these people were telling their stories, they, multiple uh, people said that it means one or two things. Either you will die or somebody you know will die. And this, this stuck with me because the years following that incident, I had family members that would pass away and I just, you know, couldn't help myself but to think, was this something that the rake was doing? Thankfully, you know, nothing has happened ever since then. I haven't seen it since then. And I'm very glad that I haven't. I just want to say, you know, I love the podcast. Keep up the good work. I have plenty of stories to tell, so who knows? Maybe this would be the first of many. But thank you. Thank you, Jose, for that entry. Now, let me just start off with my opinion, I guess. Or at least my understanding. The way I hear it, the rake is a fictional character. In fact, we can settle this right now. Because we were sort of live, if you will. Now, doing a quick search here on my computer and according to Dictionary.com, The Rake began as a collaborative project online, as many creepypasta characters do, when one user posted on 4chan's forward slash b forward slash board, not real sure what that means, uh, inviting others to contribute details for physical attributes and habits to help them make a new monster. Now, photoshopped images of the rake were created, and details of the monster's identity were tracked in this 2013 blog post. And here's the blog post. Here's what we've got so far. Humanoid, about six feet tall when standing, but usually crouches and walks on all fours. It has very pale skin. The face is blank, as in no nose, no mouth. However, it has three solid green eyes one in the middle of its forehead and the other two on either side of its head towards the back usually seen in front yards in suburban areas usually just watches the observer but will stand and attack if approached when it attacks a mouth opens up as if a hinged skull that opens at the chin reveals many tiny but dull teeth I think the character went on to evolve a bit from there. But as you can see, it seems to be a fabricated creature. But Jose sounds pretty convinced that he saw something that evening. And of course, I think we've received at least a dozen other reports of a pale humanoid creature in the dark. Now leave it to me to explain one monster with another. But my understanding here is that the pale crawler is the sort of catch-all for all of these things. Yeah, the rake may be fake, but the sightings are real. And if you don't believe me, just ask Jose. I have a video that I've bookmarked that I'm going to link to that it's a bit of a compilation of all these different rake-slash-pale-crawler sightings from the last decade or so. Now, these are actual eyewitness videos. You can see the creature in all its blurry glory. Again, you can find that in the show notes over at MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com. 
Thanks again, Jose, for chiming in. Now, if you have a story you would like to have shared here on the show, simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 888-608-6444. Or you can shoot me an email with a pre-recorded message at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. Now, a quick reminder, please call from a quiet, still place. No moving vehicles, no pets or kids around. Let's try to make this audio as crisp and clear as we possibly can. Now, tonight's next entry comes to us from the state of Utah. Rockwell, welcome to the show. Hi, my name's Rockwell, and I live in Salt Lake at the moment. I've had experiences all over uh, the country, though, as I've lived multiple places. Uh, The one I want to tell you about now is when I was a child growing up in the Seattle area. I grew up in a rather strict religious household uh, in the sense that we didn't talk about the paranormal. We didn't uh, believe in the paranormal. Anytime that I would mention anything, I was told it was just my imagination. I want to say I was probably around six years old when I noticed that I would occasionally see people that other people weren't seeing. I had a younger gentleman that seemed to live in my closet growing up that my parents chalked up to being my imaginary friend. He was probably about five foot ten. Uh, He wasn't super tall, very thin, and he kind of just looked like a farmer or farmhand. And he would come whenever I would get super scared at anything, it seemed, when I was in my room. Um, He would sit with me on my bed and uh, just talk to me about animals and farming. I I learned about irrigation and different types of irrigation as a child. And that was interesting because then I would talk to my parents about things and they would have no idea where I learned it. And then they would just say, oh, you must have heard it in school. Did you read a book? And when I would try to tell them about where I learned it from, they would tell me that I was making things up. And that was just my imagination. So I got pretty quiet talking about what I was seeing or who I was interacting with. For a long time, I tried to suppress it. Another one of the entities that seemed to follow me through my childhood was my grandfather on my mother's side. I didn't know him growing up. He passed before I was born, and so I never really got to meet him. However, I would talk about all the time things that I did with my grandpa, and my mom and dad would tell me, no, you didn't, he wasn't alive or when you were born. And I was never one to sit still and look at pictures, and so as a little kid, I didn't know what he looked like, and 
one day when I was talking about it and on one of the occasions where they were telling me that I was making things up, I described him as an elderly gentleman with uh, thinning hair on top and the ring of hair around the side that he had frown lines on his cheeks, but his eyes were blue and they seemed to shine with just love, that his hands were cut and calloused, and that he always had on like a salmon colored shirt and khaki flats. And my mom got really quiet and didn't say a lot of stuff. And I was sent to my room. Well, later my dad came and asked me where I had found a picture of my grandfather and why I insisted on lying. I told him I wasn't. But that I was saying that my parents told me that I was not allowed to talk about that kind of thing or bring that kind of thing up anymore. So I think that's where I want to leave it for right now. Um, like I said, uh, I learned to suppress my gifts uh, growing up due to those experiences. Then when my mother passed, it seemed to cause those kind of things to happen more. And I did turn to substance abuse to try to keep it from happening or having to deal with it. And then as I got older, I cleaned myself up and started to embrace the weird things that were happening around me. And I believe that stuff is for a later date. So thank you for listening. And uh, if you use my story, that is great. If you don't, I hope you at least enjoyed listening to it. Have a good day. Thank you, Rockwell. You know, Rockwell touched on a couple points I'd like to circle back on. First, I found it interesting that the apparition appeared when Rockwell was scared. Notice he didn't say that the entity caused the fear. I might be digging too far into it, but when he said that, I wondered if some of these apparitions, if you will, feed off of fear. And that's why the farman showed up. It's worth thinking about. Now the second part that I found interesting was the part about the farman sharing the knowledge. I would have loved that as a kid, I think. Hell, I'd love that now. But it did make me think, why wasn't the farmhand interested in Rockwell's timeline? If I had the opportunity to talk to someone from the future... I'd ask all sorts of questions. Who cares if you're talking to a kid? And overall, I can't help but get the Sixth Sense vibe. And I can tell you, like everyone else, Rockwell, we appreciate the call. And we're looking forward to hearing more. Now this next entry comes to us from the Lone Star State of Texas. Please welcome our anonymous caller. Hi, I'm calling from Houston, Texas, and I think I saw a UFO. I was driving past Ellington Airport a few nights ago, September 23rd, uh, around 11 p.m., when I saw four objects fly over my car. And from what I could tell, it was a, each one of them was a long, dark oval 
with a blinking light at the, at the front end and the back end. And it was a blinking light like the running lights on an aircraft. But the thing is, on a regular aircraft, they're supposed to have those on the wings and maybe on the top. There was just the two lights. And I stared at them for a while, and it was dark, but I did not see any wings on these. That was really weird. Just, just a dark oval shape, four of them flying together. And they flew over the road, flew over the airport, and then they kind of swooped low over the airport and headed off in the horizon. And this is, this is going to sound straight up weird, uh, but they were, they were very flat. I saw that when they were swooping down. They were very flat. And the way I would describe it is imagine the sole out of your shoe if it were flying like a magic carpet from Aladdin. I know, I know, I know how that sounds, but that's, that's the visual. So yeah, long, dark oval, a blinking light at the front and back end, a yellow and white blinking light. I looked up pictures of running lights for aircraft and helicopters and drones, and there, I couldn't see anything like that. And the reason I mentioned this was Ellington Airport, is that's an airport that there's military and NASA aircraft flown out of there. But I can't see why the military would be testing over a city or why NASA would be flying during the day, but throwing that out there. All right, thank you. Love the podcast. Thank you, caller. You know, anytime I'm given a date and a location, I always do what I can to check in on it. Try to check some UFO reports. I check local news reports. Phantoms and monsters, of course. But unfortunately, I found nothing for this one. It's kind of a bummer. But you know, given the location of the incident... A former Air Force base. I suppose anything is possible. So thank you again, caller, for calling in to share your report. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever wished life came with a user manual? I've had that very thought when dealing with difficult situations. It's easy to get overwhelmed and feel stuck and or hopeless. But I've found that therapy can help with navigating those difficult emotions or situations. Not only is it good to get things off my chest, but therapy has taught me better coping skills and helped me grow as a person. And I think it can help you too. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash monsters among us. That's better, H E L P.com forward slash monsters among us. As always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. And back to those eyes beeping into your window. Now we're going to stay put here in the state of Texas for this next one. So please welcome Jonathan to the program. 
Hey, Derek. Uh, my name is Jonathan. I'm from Texas. Uh, about 10 or so years ago, I, I lived in a college town in central east Texas. Um, I shared a house with about three other guys. Uh, one of the guys' parents actually owned the house, so we had a little bit of insight into the history of the place. Allegedly, an old woman had died in the house prior to us living there. The roommate whose parents owned the house would, would always tell us of things that he had seen or heard or things maybe that his parents had seen or heard. But myself and my other roommates always just kind of chalked that up to nonsense. He was kind of a, a trickster, uh, so didn't really trust what he was saying, to be honest. But did have a couple of experiences that really made me question you know, whether or not he was telling the truth. We, we had a few experiences, as a matter of fact, with the dogs that lived in the house. I remember very vividly two separate occasions, actually, of, of one of the dogs being in, in a separate room. The lights were off in that room, and you hear some growling coming from the room. And me and my roommates just kind of looked at each other like, what, what the hell is, is Jack's growling at now? Um, and we would go in there and he would be staring at a corner in that room growling with his with his hackles up so i'm getting chills just kind of telling the story now but we were a little freaked out about that as as i'm sure you can imagine another first-hand experience that i had and really the one that that made me question things the most was I was in one of my roommate's rooms. He was showing me something on his computer. It was just he and I at the house that day. And he shared the master bathroom with the master bedroom. So his room was just kind of an extension of that. And that was the bathroom that the woman, I guess, used when she was alive, the woman that had allegedly died in the house. And we were sitting there talking and he was showing me something in his computer when all of a sudden we heard the bathroom fan come on and we just kind of looked at each other because this was, this was again after we'd heard stories from our roommate and kind of had, had heard of his experiences, but again, we were questioning them. Nobody else was home. We heard the bathroom fan turn on by itself, went in there and looked and the switch was physically flipped. No idea how that happened. We flipped it on and off ourselves a couple of times really freaked us out to be honest and you know that combined with the uh, experiences with dogs staring at nothing and growling and snarling um really made me not want to live in that house for too long but really been listening to the podcast a lot and you know i, I thought that i would call in and, and share a couple of the experiences that i had but Appreciate you doing this and uh, looking forward to, to listen to more of the podcast. Thanks. Well, thank you, Jonathan. You know, it's never fun when you see an animal making a threatening display. It's even spookier when they seemingly act aggressive towards something that the rest of us simply can't see. And I know the following is not necessarily dog-related but I think it's close enough. Now, TV personality and cat behavior expert Jackson Galaxy actually did a video on the belief that cats can sense spirits. 
I've linked to it in the show notes, but here are the highlights. So what are cats looking at when they're staring at the wall? I mean, we've all thought it at one time or another. We wake up in the middle of the night and there's our cats staring at nothing staring at something in the wall. And maybe they hear something on the opposite side of the wall. Maybe it's a a bug. Maybe the house itself is creaking and settling and they're just staring at the source. Okay, that's possible. I, I hear you. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe cats are more attuned to hearing something beyond our comprehension. You can bet that when a cat is staring at the wall and they sense something going on energetically, and we've already gone through what it is that they could be picking up that we're not picking up, which could be a whole lot, I would trust them more than I trust me. Because my thought process at that moment is clouded by, no, 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 wait a minute. And this is coming from somebody who believes in the spirit realm. My first thought most of the time is like, nah, that couldn't be, right? Cats not worried about what could or couldn't be. They're worried about what is. Now that is courtesy of Jackson Galaxy's YouTube. And in the video, he goes on to explain how heightened the cat's senses are. I imagine the dogs are as well, which could give them a added advantage when it comes to snuffing out the spooky. Or as he hinted to in the clip I just played, perhaps they're simply seeing an insect or hearing a sound that we simply cannot perceive. And you know, I figure if it applies to cats, it probably applies to dogs as well. So it's certainly creepy stuff, Jonathan. Thank you for taking the time to share. The world can be a stressful place, and the tension many of us feel can manifest in all sorts of nasty ways. One way I combat these stressors is through microdosing. If you poke around online, you'll find all sorts of people are microdosing to manage pain, get more sleep, lower anxiety, and overall improve their mood. Now, before you let three little words scare you, let me just say that microdose gummies by tonight's sponsor, Lumi Labs, are completely legal everywhere in the United States. And while these gummies contain cannabinoids, they're not designed to get you quote-unquote high in that stereotypical sense. Instead, I'm talking about entry-level doses of THC and CBD that can help you wind down at the end of a long day, manage anxiety, and sleep like a baby. Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, just do a quick search online or go to microdose.com and use code MONSTERSAMONGUS to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show notes, but again, that's microdose.com and the code MONSTERSAMONGUS. As always, supporting our sponsors supports the show, so thank you for listening, and back to the stuff that keeps you up at night. Now up next, we venture a little north to the state of Oklahoma, where another anonymous caller has a story queued up for us. Hey there, I've just finished up season three here, and I figured I'd finally give you guys a call. I had a weird incident when I was working in a nightclub. This nightclub was brand new, it was hopping, it was the one to be at. It was built in 2013, that's when we opened up. This incident occurred in the winter time. Now, this bar was built on kind of a well-known area, 
to our city in Calgary, Alberta. It's built on 17th Avenue and 14th Street Southwest. Prior to this place, it was a drug mart that had burnt down. And years upon years before I was even born, there was a train derailment type thing that happened directly at the bottom of that hill that I don't recall if somebody had died or not, but it was it's a little historical on that little corner. I've encountered everything from drug addicts to just regular drunks to the nicest people possible. This night, it was probably a Wednesday or Thursday. It wasn't a very busy night. It was only me on staff for security. Uh, at the end of the night, it was just me, a bartender, and the manager. We had finished up cleaning up everything. I have already done the walkthrough. Uh, I was sitting there having a beer. It was a 2% beer before I decided to take off. It was uh, a Stolies or something along those lines. And all of a sudden, I heard a firebell ring. It was just a one. Ding! I was like, wow, that was really weird. And being that I'm six foot two, 265 pounds, I'm not really afraid of much. And I wasn't afraid of this. I just assumed that I might have missed somebody that was trying to, you know, startle me and the rest of the staff. So I ran up the stairs, and it was a brand new place to me, so I was just searching the ceilings, trying to see where the fire alarm was. Well, it just happened to be at the middle of the stairwell, about 10 feet up in the air, where I couldn't reach it at all. I couldn't even jump to hit the thing. So I thought maybe it was just an error. You know, it's a brand new building. Stuff can go wrong. Stuff doesn't matter function. About 10 minutes later, ding, ding, ding. I heard it three times. I'm like, wow, now somebody's just screwing with me. So I grabbed the bartender. I told him to uh, go up the one set of stairs. I'd go up the other set of stairs. And whatever's in the second floor, we'd corner them. But we didn't find nothing in there. We checked the kitchen. We went up to the rooftop patio that had been closed uh, all day. Door was still locked and sealed. Nothing was up there. Come back downstairs, finish off the beer, and as we're about to leave, ding, 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 three more dings. We just left. We weren't uh, screwing around with it. It was a little startling. A month or so later, and it was a Tuesday night, once again, it's me, a different uh, store manager, and a different bartender. And uh, we noticed that on the security cameras that uh, the second floor lights have turned off. Once again, that's a little weird. That shouldn't be happening. So I, you know, r run up the stairs and I'm like, what the hell? I don't see nobody. I checked all these things. And then I do a little quick check. Nothing. Nothing's there at all. Go back downstairs. I'm like, that's really weird. Are those motion censored? And the manager's like, no, they shouldn't be. There's a light switch that you, uh, you hit right at the top of the stairs. So we're watching it again. And there it goes again. Click, 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 click. Lights on, lights off, lights on, lights off. Now, I'm not panicking, but I'm like, who the hell is inside my bar? So I grab a radio, and I run upstairs, and I start searching everything. Now the manager and I are communicating back and forth to see what's going on, where is it at, do we see anybody? So he's telling me that he can see me walking around, and he doesn't see nobody, so I flick the lights off, come back downstairs. By the time I get downstairs, he's like radioing me, something, flicking those lights off again. So I freak out, I run up the stairs, I've now got the bartender up the other set of stairs, so we're going to corner whatever is pissing me off. 
nothing. And I'm standing right by the light switches. I walk away, lights turn on, lights turn off, lights turn on, lights turn off. We all kind of just freaked out. And uh, shortly after that, I left that bar and I didn't work there again. Love the show. We'll continue to listen and hopefully hear this on the podcast. Have a great day. Thank you, Carl. You know, I couldn't find anything on that particular train derailment that he mentioned. At least nothing in that area. But it does appear that that area does have some history. So maybe someone out there listening has some useful information on what used to be there. You know, also, maybe someone listening is a fire alarm expert and can tell us if there's a logical explanation as to why an alarm like that would trigger itself. I'll circle back on that if anything were to surface. Until then, a huge thanks, caller, for taking the time to share your entry. Now, folks, the shop is fully stocked. Most of our t-shirt designs are in stock. Sticker packs, in stock. Posters, in stock. The brand new Christmas ornament, in stock. And a whole lot more. Just visit monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop or just click the shop tab. Grab your goodies today. Now, folks, to round this out here, we hop a fast plane, or a boat, I suppose, to the land of dingoes, yowies, and salties. Blake from Australia, welcome to the program. Hi, Derek. Big fan of the show, mate. Don't watch too much TV, so you and a few other podcasts keep us going most of the time. I just wanted to shoot you this in thought you and the listeners might be interested in this story. A little bit of info, I've worked around Australia as a contract welder, uh, muster, uh, a few other things, but mainly that. So I've been pretty much uh, all throughout uh, in pretty remote areas, lived out of cars and trucks, gone from uh, cattle stations cattle to cattle stations, so I just want to put it in context. I've been to some pretty remote areas and lived in some pretty rural areas where there's not much around. This story comes from uh, when I was uh, living um, in between uh, cattle stations. I was on a little bit of a holiday uh, visiting some family and then checking out some um, spots in the town I used to live I'm on the south coast of Australia. I was on, I'd say, two or three weeks holiday. I was camping in on a little spot uh, off a water catchment, like a dam, this little area. It wasn't wasn't too remote of a campsite. It was out of the way. There wasn't much near the place. There is a Navy base there that will sort of have a bit of part in the story. Anyway, I was uh, setting up camp. I had been to this camping spot before. I was setting up the... I had a Subaru Forester all decked out with the, you know, like, overlanding type stuff, the awnings and all the stuff in the back and whatnot. I was getting all that set up, got camp going. Uh, I hadn't drank any alcohol or taken any drugs at this time. 
all of a sudden in the sky you could hear I couldn't say anything but it sounded like the start of thunder but there was no pitch or bang crack it was just the bang sound like the and then just continuous and loud in the sky like booming loud guttural so much that you could feel it like a like a plane taking off and it lasted for like 40 or 50 seconds went away came back again I think that happened like two or three times this this noise in the sky few hours passed the noise went away this was in the afternoon so this was a few hours passed into the evening I'd had tea I think I was making a coffee getting ready to go to bed I didn't have a tent or anything set up I just had the awning um, off the side with the bit of gear outside and the bed in the back of the car, truck, whatever you want to call them over there, um, set up. So I'm going to bed. I've finished coffee, having a cigarette. I'm about to go to sleep. All of a sudden, you hear this help like a helicopter. And I know there's a Navy base close, so I'm not too stressed about a helicopter. But I hear the helicopter starting to land. And I'm in a big clearing, like I say, this is like a dam. You, f- you keep going down a little while and there's a little campground. There's uh, water access for canoes, kayaks and this sort of thing. No power boats or anything. Anyway, helicopter. So I sit up, I'm in the car, I'm in bed at this point. So I sit up in bed, I'm, I haven't looked around, I'm not asleep, I've only just gone to bed, like just packed up, gone to bed. Here a helicopter. Looking around at where this thing's going to land, we're in a pretty big clearing. Like I say, my little ramble there was meant to conclude with this is a campground. There was a little bit of land where it could have landed there, all cleared, and there was a toilet block right up the back. So there was a fair bit of space for this thing to land. But it seemed to land in the track coming into the campground that had gum trees along each side of it instead of landing in the actual campground itself where it wouldn't have had wouldn't have been close to trees or anything like this definitely was not a car i've worked on cattle stations i've been in helicopters i've worked around uh, the r22s they're pretty small helicopter but even when you get up close to them they're pretty big they're big enough especially with the width of the rotors so i couldn't work out why it landed where it landed and I tried to, I, I sat up, I was looking, having a look and I, I couldn't, I couldn't see any rotors on the helicopter. Yeah, the green it was dark, but there was a light coming from the helicopter. The only way I can explain it, I couldn't see where the light was coming from. It wasn't like a torch that was turned on that was shining light. I could see three or four figures. This is where it was sort of, sort of getting to the mirrored men thing that you guys have been talking about. I could see these three or four figures standing in front of the helicopter, only dark. You can only make out the shape of the people. But as I was saying about the light, there were, I, I couldn't see them because the light was like it was liquid or a gas that was like floating along and like illuminating everything it touched. But you couldn't see the gas. It was only light, if that makes sense. It was a real weird scenario. Anyway, after I seen the light and seen what was going on here with the rotors, I just had a. I just felt really, really tired. Thought, yep, this is a good time to go to bed. 
I remember the last sort of thought I had was I was looking out of the window and the light was illuminating me, but not what I was trying to see. Like, I couldn't see them. And I just thought, hey, no, hang on, this isn't good. I just feel like prey in a bloody spotlight here. And then, yeah, bang, um, I'm tired. I better go to bed. I can't really remember what happened the next day. I think it was just a normal day. I woke up and went about everything, and that was it, mate. Yeah. I don't know, pretty weird, random story, but I thought you guys might like it. I'm pretty sure it was three or four men standing in unison, like on that bit of a slant, too, that you guys are talking about, which sort of, yeah, I don't know. Let me know what you think. Cheers. Bye. Thank you, Blake. You know, this is very reminiscent of a story I featured back on Season 9, Episode 13. About some sort of strange men reported in the outback. Well, Sean Donnie Castani, author of the Eerie Tales series, was given a first-hand account from a now-retired police officer named Terrence. When Terrence was actively involved in police work, he had an encounter while on patrol in a remote part of the outback. He stopped on the side of the road to rest and clear dust from his gear, and that's when he heard the roar of a car engine on a slight rise on the hill just above him. Now, when he scrambled to the top of this hill, he saw a 50s model Chevrolet car doing donuts in the dust. Now, he wasn't able to see why the vehicle was behaving so strangely out there in the middle of nowhere. But he began to suspect that there may be some sort of trouble. So he approached the car. When he did so, he noticed two very large people sitting in the two front seats. After a while of trying to flag the vehicle down, finally it stopped. And that's when Terrence ordered the two people to step out of the vehicle. When they did... He noticed they were not only extremely tall, but identical in appearance. Long hair, black expressions, dirty farm clothes, and the strangest set of sunglasses he'd ever seen. He'd mentioned that the sheen from the lenses was so intense that he could hear it inside his head. And that's when he noticed that their movements were perfectly mirrored. And this is where Terrence freaked. He drew his pistol and ordered the two men on the ground, but they instead began to approach him. He can now see just how similar they are in appearance. They are essentially mirror images of one another. Well, just when he's about to open fire, the two men retreat, as if they didn't even see Terrence there in the first place. And that's when their heads begin to spin. 360 degrees exorcist style then as strangely as they appear they lumber down the hill toward the road and simply disappear now it's at this point that Terrence realizes that the 1950s model Chevy too has vanished now he drops to his knees in confusion and rubs his eyes but when he opens them again mere seconds later several hours had passed and it is now pitch black outside he stumbles back to his motorcycle and vacates the area. It was only after he retired that he decided 
to share that story. Now, like I said, that story was covered on Season 9, Episode 13 of this series. And that's where we shared a version of this story told by YouTuber Beyond Creepy. Now, there's a few more details included in his telling. So if you're interested, go check out the show notes where you can find that link there. I don't know. What do you guys think? Mirrored men. Top secret government operation. Maybe aliens from space or the future. Maybe both. Or just a tired camper. And routine helicopter operations. No, I can't speak for you. But to me, it seems like Blake has seen a thing or two. So I'm skeptical that he'd bother calling in if it wasn't something out of his norm. And we thank you, Blake, for doing so. Whatever it was you experienced, we appreciate the opportunity to hear it tonight. Because that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Eddie Lloyd. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. If you have a free few moments, please consider leaving us a rate and review anywhere that that's possible. And while you're at it, give us a like and subscribe over at YouTube. Real quick, just this past weekend, we are honored to accept the 2022 Paranormality Paranormal Podcast Award for Best 40 in Podcast. Now that's the second year in a row we've taken home some hardware from that ceremony. So a big, big thank you to all those that voted, nominated, and support the show. On that note, thanks again for tuning in. Keep it spooky out there. And I'll catch you guys next week. Have a good night. tonight's secret story comes to us from the state of Virginia. Dale, welcome to the program. Hey Derek, my name's Dale and I'm from Pocosin, Virginia. I've got a glitch in the matrix story that's been bothering me for a couple of years now and uh, after hearing a couple of the uh, glitch in the matrix stories on the podcast, I felt like I ought to call in and, and share it with you, at least if nothing else to get it off my chest. One Saturday, uh, I was headed to work. My wife and I own a body shop in Hampton, Virginia. And I take the same way to work, same way home every day. I've done it for over 30 years now. And if folks want to see what I'm talking about, they can go to Google Maps and search Langley Air Force Base in Hampton, Virginia. It's right in the same area. And you'll see just south of Langley Air Force Base is uh, Tide Mill Lane. Now, Tide Mill Lane runs from North Armistead Avenue northeastward to LaSalle Avenue. And I take that route to work pretty much every day. One particular Saturday, 
It's a nice, pretty sunny day. I'm heading to the shop. And I'm following a blue BMW. Uh, it's a three series, light blue. But now let me preface that by saying I'm a car guy. I've uh, uh, been in the car business all my life. I've raced cars. I, I do a lot of stuff at the local racetrack. I'm in a lot of the car clubs. I know the car scene in the area. So I'm a car guy. And I notice cars. I pay attention to cars. So they'll see just before LaSalle Avenue on Tide Mill, they'll see Toller Drive. And this blue BMW had two people in it. They were relatively short. They had short black hair. I could see that. I mean, they're right in front of me. They slowed up, made a right-hand turn on this Toller Drive. 100 yards up, I make a right-hand turn on LaSalle Avenue, 55-mile-an-hour straight road, and I go up 1.7 miles to the intersection of LaSalle and North Armistead. And Derek, right there waiting to make a right-hand turn is that same blue BMW, same two people in it, same short black hair, and same license plate. Now, all my cars have, have vanity plates on them, so I pay attention to, to, to special license plates. And the license plate was twin BMW. It was a Virginia plate. And Virginia, you can search um, license plates to see if they're available if you want to get a specialty plate. So one thing, once I got you know kind of together and at the shop, I, I pulled up the, the DMV website and I searched the twin BMW license plate and it was taken. So that means that plate obviously existed. Well, it's a possibility that those people had two light blue BMWs, identical cars. Uh, so I searched license plate twin BMW spell in twin with a one instead of an I. Well, that was available. So obviously that plate wasn't on one of their cars. And maybe I saw it backwards. So maybe it was BMW twin and twin BMW on license plates, you know, just trying to figure some different option. And both BMW twin spelled with an I or one, both of them were available. So the only license plate possible was twin BMW with the correct spelling. Derek, I got no idea what happened that day. All I knew is I saw the same exact car 1.7 miles later, same people, same license plate. You can look on Google Maps, and there is no way they could wind around and get to that intersection before I did when it's a straight shot, 55 miles an hour. If anybody's got an explanation, hey, I'm here to tell you, I'm all ears. But I know what I saw, and I will swear on a stack of Bibles what I experienced that day. So, hey, look, thanks for the podcast. Love the new YouTube channel. And again, if anybody's got any idea what I saw, what I experienced, I'm all ears. Hey. Thank you, Dale, for the entry. Another one of those time slip stories. You know, I found it ironic that the license plate on the BMW had the nerve to have the word twin on there. Maybe a little too on the nose. And I also like how detailed Dale was about all the observations that he made about this strange occurrence. The make and model, the color, the driver's description, the passenger's description, the license plate. Well done, Dale. Well done. Well, folks, help him out. If this sounds familiar to you or you have some sort of insight, let us know. Until then, a huge thanks, Dale, for sharing your entry. And a bigger thanks to everyone else for sticking around to the end of the program. Because this is where we begin to go beyond. Now, for those that don't know, you can join us for a little after-show hangout we call Beyond 
over at patreon.com. Simply visit the website, search for Monsters Among Us podcast, then sign up for that $5 level to get instant access to not only this upcoming bonus content, but all past bonus content as well. And let me tell you, there's probably something like 60 hours of it by now. So again, that's patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast. And that's signing up for that $5 level. Now to kick us off on this episode of Beyond, we return to the States, to the land of Lincoln, to be specific, where John from Illinois is waiting with a tale. Derek, my name's John. I've been planning to call about this particular story for a long time and just finally got around to it. Uh, Location is southern Illinois, uh, particularly the border between Gallatin County and Saline County, which is over in the southeast corner. Uh, The time span 